Welcome, Harvest Church family, and thank you for joining us this week for our sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged with the message prepared. Right now, let's listen in to this week's message. I'm so excited to be able to talk with you today, and it's never something that I take lightly. So, as I was preparing this message for today, you know, it's always a good thing when, you know, well, let me just say it this way. This message just kind of wrecked me. It convicted me as I was doing it. I needed to really make sure that I wasn't going to give this message hypocritically or pridefully. And it, it got me, you guys. So I know what I'm about to say. I pray that you, would, you guys would be open to hear from the Lord today. So in order to kind of solidify that, let's pray first before we do anything else. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that you have for us today. Not them, for us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be good ground to receive what you have for us. And that it would yield a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. We pray, God, that uh, we would leave today changed because of what you did in our lives. Show up in a powerful and special way. And when you show up, we're careful to give you the glory because you alone deserve it. Have your way today in Jesus' name. And all God's people who agreed said? Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. I've always felt that my ministry was geared to Christian people. That is to say that some people feel like they have ministries where they're evangelists or missionaries or they're really into outreach and street witnessing and stuff like that. But I've always felt like my ministry has been geared towards Christians. Somebody prophesied over me years and years ago and they said, Markel, you will be an encourager of the brethren. So it's always my job to encourage you. You know, I I do worship, and that music that I do is primarily to Christians. And there's nothing wrong with that, that, and there's nothing wrong with having a more evangelistic outlook or evangelistic bent. But I personally have never really been interested in more Christians. I've always been interested in better Christians. I want to call us deeper. I want to call us higher in the Lord. See, we think we have a monopoly. As Christians, we think we have a monopoly on the spiritual market. We hear that Christianity is the world's most populous religion. There are more Christians in the world than anything is. So we're like, yeah, go Jesus, which is fine. (laughs) But only 31% of the world population are Christians. The next biggest one is Islam, and then you get Hinduism. So if you think about this, you think about the fact that right now there are around 9 to 10 billion people on earth. And some studies say that half of the people who have ever lived are alive right at this second. So it doesn't even, we're not going to talk about like old earth or young earth if you think the world is 6,000 years old or 6 million years old. That means that maybe in the entire history of humankind there's only been 20 billion people. But if 31% of the world population today are Christians, that is way less than half of all mankind have been Christians. That means most people who have ever been born are on their way to hell. Some, some market we've got, right? Not only that, out of the 31% of people who claim Christianity, remember Jesus is the one who said, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy on your name? In your name did we not cast out devils? In your name did we do... Can you, you can cast out a demon and still go to hell. You cast them out and go join them right there. <laughs> so it doesn't really feel like a lot of people are making it to heaven. 
Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are on it. In fact, as I look throughout the Bible, it seems as though God is always trying to actually like thin out the herd of people who claim his name. Commandment number, one of the commandments says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we, send, we tend to think of that meaning, don't use God's name as a cuss word, right? Oh, Jesus, we, we can't say stuff like that. But what actually it means is when you take the name, when you claim his name, you claim to represent him, don't take that on in vain. Don't do that and then not represent what he's about. Don't take his name in vain. And God's always trying to find out who's really down for him. He's always looking for a small remnant of people. If you look in the Old Testament, you see Gideon, when he went to go fight, he started with 32,000 people, and God was like, we need to cut that down. And in the end, he ended up with only 300. In the New Testament, Jesus would say things to, like, see who's really down. He said, for instance... If you're going to be with me, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And people are like, what do you mean? He's like, I said what I said. (laughs) And the Bible tells us that many people stopped following him after that. And he turned to his disciples and said, are y'all going to leave me too? And they said, where shall we go, Lord? You alone have the words of life. But But it seems as though God is always really trying to see who is really about his business. He wants to see who's interested in being faithfully consistent. And commit to him and his law and his ways. Because the truth be told, many people claim to be Christians, but when the rubber meets the roads, they're not really followers of Christ. The Christian life cannot be lived on autopilot. We're supposed to be diligent in our efforts to follow Christ. However, praise God that he's given us help in in the form of the Holy Spirit. He gives us help to be able to faithfully serve him. So we don't have to try so hard, but we do need to be diligent. Last last sermon I said, there are two parts in our relationship to God. Your part and God's part. You can't do God's part and God won't do your part. You've got to be diligent in your relationship with God. The Spirit empowers us to do it. But do we rely on the Holy Spirit? Are we relying on him? Are we even trying at all to live the way that God wants us to live? So today my call, my message is a call and a challenge to believers. It's a reminder for us to take our faith seriously. And as I've been fond of saying these past couple of times I've had the opportunity to share, I'm not trying to teach you anything new. I'm just trying to call you back to what it is you already know. Now I know I say that all the time. And some people are like, well, but Markel, what if, what if I don't know? What if people genuinely don't know? What if they're a new Christian they just got saved yesterday? How can they possibly know? I'm glad you asked that, and I'll explain that to you right after this. <laughs> That's a good question. Now, today I'm going to be in Romans chapter 5 a lot. We'll jump around in Romans a little bit and look at some other things. But if you want to open up your Bibles and get ready for Romans 5, that's where we'll be. Today, my message is titled... Don't abuse the grace of God. Don't abuse the grace of God. The entire Bible is God's story of redemption for humankind. When you read the scriptures, you read history, poetry, legal brief, apocalyptic literature, epistle and letter. You get a lot of different genres in the Bible too. You get action and adventure. 
You get drama and love. You get political espionage and amazing tales of supernatural occurrences like time standing still for Joshua or even going backwards. You get death and destruction. You get victory and success. You get lust. You get murder. You get conspiracy. You get joy and despair and laughter and crying in the Bible. But the cool thing about the Bible is that all of those stories are true. It's history. It's true. Now, to the ancient Israelites, history was not just like a record-keeping of events so we could know what happened. It also wasn't just merely... uh, pagan history. (laughs) To them, it was religious history. It wasn't profane, it was religious. All of, everything that was happening for them was following God's plan of redemption. It was telling his story of why he sent his son to die on the cross for our behalf. From Genesis to Revelation, everything was written to be a history of God's salvation. Now, there's a German word that scholars use to talk about this. The word is (laughs) because <laughs> I don't speak German. No, the word is Hausgeschichte. That word Hausgeschichte means salvation history. Salvation history. So again, the Bible is God's story of his salvation. It's the salvation history for the world, for mankind, for his people. Now with that foundation that's laid in our thinking about what the whole purpose of the Bible is for, we can see that even though the abundant life that God gives us comes with many benefits. Those benefits are good, but that's not the point. But what are some of these benefits that we get? We get healing. We get provision. We get deliverance. We get peace. We get protection. All of these things are provided to us in the atonement. But really, the whole point really is about God's salvation, the plan of salvation he had for us. So, notice the Bible isn't provision history. It's not protection history. It is indeed salvation history. The entire point of the Bible is Jesus. The entire point of the Bible is for us as humans to see our sin and to see our need of a savior. The plan of salvation, which was given before the creation of the world and our redemption as God's people is the main reason for his moving and acting since the beginning of time. We're going to be in Romans as I said, and I wish I had time to just take you through the whole book. I don't have time to do all of it. I've only got about three more hours left, so we'll have to skip over most of it today. But as I said, we'll be in Romans chapter 5, but let me set you up by just telling you what Romans chapter 4 is about. In Romans chapter 4, Paul is teaching that it's through faith that Abraham was justified. Believing in and on the promises of God is what justified Abraham. This is the same faith that we have today. Before we were believers, we were enemies with God. Before we had faith in the person and the work of Jesus, we were God's enemies. Now, God commands us to love our enemies. Amen? And guess what? God loved his enemies and provided for them. You guys all know the scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He did that. He gave his son for his enemies. And we can see the things that I just talked about in chapter five. Let's take chapter five. Let's start up here at verse one. 
chapter 5 of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's jump down to verse 6. For while we were still weak and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We're not only saved from hell, we're saved from God's wrath. We're saved from God himself. We're saved from the wrath of a holy God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we can see here that God in his love provided a way for us to be reconciled, to have peace with him, to no longer be his enemies. Now, don't get it twisted. We were not deserving of this love at all. And we can see that it was by God's grace in verse 10 that we are saved by Jesus's life. We get what Jesus gets. Jesus got a new body. We get a new body. Jesus gets to be with God. We get to be with God. We get what Jesus gets as co-heirs with him. And then that is what we rejoice in. Let's jump down quickly to verse 12 in Romans chapter 5. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, this is what I meant earlier when I said that you already know. This is some of what I mean here. Here it says that sin is not counted where there is no law. What Paul means here is that there was sin and death, as you can see in verse 14, before Moses wrote Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, before he wrote those books. But if sin isn't counted where there's no law, how is that fair? How are you going to punish people? You just said where there was no law. Well, Paul answered that. He answered that in chapter 1 of Romans. This is why I wish I had time. I know I've got two and a half hours left. This is why I wish I had time to go through the whole thing with you. If you can, jump over to Romans chapter 1 with me real fast, and we're going to look at verse 18. This is where it gets heavy. Paul opened his letter raw. He says in chapter 1 and verse 18 this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress it. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived when? Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. When it comes to knowledge of God and sin, men are without excuse. 
Verse 21 continues and says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. We can see here from this passage that people know what they need to know, especially about God, because God has made it clear to them. The scriptures say that they are without excuse. Notice it doesn't say that his divine attributes have been perceived since Moses wrote the law. That's not what it says. It says, since the creation of the world before the law. Again, if you look at verse 21, they knew God, but they didn't honor him. We have three witnesses to who God is. We have the the light of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The universe declares his majesty. We can look around and we can see that things exist And so there must be at least a creator. We have the witness of conscience. Your conscience tells you God has given us that still small voice. And we already know when we're going against that. And we have the conscious, the the light of Christ, the word of God and Jesus incarnate. Those three things definitely make it without excuse to know what God wants from us. Both Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are almost exactly the same psalm. And how does it start? It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So a lot of people are out here claiming to be atheists and agnostics. But that's not what the scripture says. The scriptures say in Romans that they are without excuse. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And as we see in Romans 1.21, their thinking becomes futile and their hearts were darkened. If we continue looking in Romans, we see down in verse 24 that God gives up people to the lusts of their hearts. In verse 26, it says God gives up people to dishonorable passions. And in verse 2 and 8, it says that God gives up people to debased minds. Anybody noticing a pattern here? Whatever you want, God is going to give it to you. Somebody once said there is enough light that if you want to find God, you can. And it's shrouded in just enough mystery where if you don't want to find him, you won't. So what does this have to do with abusing God's grace? That was your sermon, right? Don't abuse the grace of God, right? What does this have to do with me, you might be thinking? I'm a Christian. I've been saved for 50 years. I believe God's real. I want to honor him. I want to do what's right. But I'm glad you asked. Y'all are asking such good questions today. (laughs) Now, remember the Bible. The entire Bible is God's salvation history. More specifically, much of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul's primary audience was who? Christians. Not unbelievers, Christians. The Bible is primarily written to Christians. It's not written to unbelievers. So we can read the Bible and sometimes we read it and we go, man, I just wish these sinners would get this. I wish they got it. I wish they understood what was in here. They need to act right. You know what? That's true. Unbelievers do need to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Unbelievers do need to repent of their sins. But that's not who Paul's talking to. Paul did all kinds of evangelistic work. We know about all of his missionary journeys and his church planting and converting people. But his letters were written to God's people. Here's what it says in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. You know this. If my people 
who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We're the ones who need to get it together. We're the ones who need to get our act right. God is not shy or clear about who he's expecting to shape it up. It's us, the body of Christ. If you go back to Romans chapter 5, we see at the end of the chapter in verse 20, it says this. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying here isn't that the law came in to make people sin more. No, but it made even clearer what was already clear about just where we're falling short. But he follows that up with good news. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace reigned through righteousness leading to eternal life. And so if we get to chapter 6 of Romans, Paul asks a question that he's anticipating. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Another translation says, absolutely not. Another translation says, God forbid. We are not to keep on sinning so that grace may abound. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Remember, these are Christians he was talking to. He anticipated that Christians were going to have that question. Well, for more grace, shouldn't we just sin? Christians are asking that. Not unbelievers. We're not to keep on sinning. We have been baptized into Christ Jesus and we're therefore dead to sin and raised to newness of life. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're right, Mark Hilda. You're in agreement. I'm in agreement with you. We're not to keep sinning. Of course. You always say you don't teach us things we don't know. Well, I do that. You're right. There's, I don't think we're in much danger of that here. Anybody think, feel that way? Good. Good reminder today. Ready to go home? Hmm? Okay. Well, before we go, let me just share something. Let me share some things with you. As a pastor, as a person who professionally works in the ministry, although you all are called to work in the ministry, just don't, don't, don't get it twisted, I get to speak to people who are, who are believers all the time. I listen to believers talk, and if you listen to them, you actually hear that they do share their struggles with you. But what I've found is that while people agree that we shouldn't sin, somehow at the same time, when they do sin, they think it's just not that big a deal. After all, we're under grace, right? It's not that big a deal. Even worse, I know Christians who don't think they sin at all. The Apostle John wrote five books. John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. And in his epistle, 1 John, again, writing to Christians, this is what he says in chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. 
Verse 8 says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But again in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you got saved last week, if you got saved 50 years ago, you sin. I'm a Christian, and I sin every day in thought, word, and deed. Really? Pastor Michael? Pastor Michael? Yes. I'm a human being. Me, every single day. How do I sin every day? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but that's not because I'm, like, nervous to say it or, or uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's important. But I don't want to tell you because... I don't want you to focus on my shortcomings. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to examine yourselves. I knew a Christian who said, you know, I sin from time to time. I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) Not even Paul had that opinion about himself. Paul in the book of Romans again, so I wish I could go through the whole thing. Got an hour left. Romans 7.14 says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, But not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that is what I keep on doing. Remember, this is a Christian writing to Christians. I was going to say that um, the problem isn't that you sin, but that is the problem. But let me say it this way. The other problem is our cavalier attitude about our sin. I've seen Christians and you're getting together and they're talking and they're praying and yeah, you can do it and let's be better and you know, uh, you know, I'll pray for you that you would get victory. But you know what? If you mess up, it's okay. It's okay if you fail. It's all right. God understands. We're all human. We're all frail. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Now, he does understand your shortcomings. He does understand your frail frame. But this kind of thinking, oh, it's okay, takes away the urgency of the need to be diligent about our salvation and the walking in the newness of life that we have in Jesus Christ. We act like the sins that we do, especially as Christians, are just little mistakes that we make here and there. I heard a comedian one time, he was doing a comedy bit, and he was talking about how his girlfriend cheated on him. And the girlfriend came back and was like, can you forgive me, please? I just made one mistake. I just made one mistake. And he was sitting there, he says, one mistake? You made a series of mistakes. You went and met him. You drove to his house. You took off your clothes. What do you mean one mistake? See, because we don't accidentally just fall into sin. We don't, oops, I was just in there. We already know. We know what we're doing. We ignore that consciousness. We ignore what we feel the Lord and the Holy Spirit telling us. It's not just oops. (laughs) I said it earlier. The Christian life can't be lived on autopilot. It can't just be in the back of your mind. You have to be diligently watching your life. That's the problem. We're not diligent. 
We're just coasting. We're like really lax. And we just hope and, and pray and believe that God's grace will just make up for everything. I have a video here that just kind of shows how we live sometimes. We could play that video. This is us. We're stuck in a ditch. No way out. Can't move. Can't do anything. But Jesus comes and he lifts us up. Amen? He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Just stuck. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We just jump right back into the same stuff. Well, it's okay if you fail. God's got no, 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 church. I'm glad you're laughing. Y'all haven't laughed a whole day. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4:16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. We're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In 1 Corinthians verse 12, we're told, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. You've got to be diligent. I heard a pastor named Jane McDonald interviewing another pastor named C.J. Mahaney. C.J. Mahaney says, I'm the worst sinner that I know. Pastor James was like, really? Like practically the worst? He's like, yes, I am. Because I'm the most acquainted with my own sin. Okay, well, I mean, you don't know other people's sin, but what if we took 20 people and we listed their sins? Would you still say you're the number one on the list? He says, absolutely, I'm number one on that list. Because I can see, their, I can see the list, but I, but I don't know what else. You're assuming, you know, they're, they're being totally out. I know my sin. I am the worst practical, right now, I'm the worst sinner that I know. We don't think that about ourselves at all. Because, and that's the problem. We are not comparing our sin in light of the cross and Jesus' righteousness and God's holiness. We're comparing ourselves to other people. See, we know we deal with jealousy and anger and lust and unkindness. We're short with our spouse or our co-worker. We didn't keep our word or we were late when we said we weren't going to be. We told God or promised that we'd do something and we didn't do it. Have you ever heard or said this phrase? It is easier to ask forgiveness than for permission. Anybody ever said that? (laughs) See, that kind of thinking proves that you already know. You already know that what you're about to get into ain't right. You already know. And we just expect people or God to just have grace on the other side. I submit to you that God isn't forgiving you for that. Why? Not because he wouldn't forgive you, because you ain't really sorry. You went into it already with both eyes open. You already know. You have that consciousness. You already know what you're about to do or what you did. 
The Bible says this, that whatever you do that's not in faith is sin. So even if you think something is, even if something isn't necessarily really wrong, but you think it's wrong, if you do it anyway, God says that's sin. When in doubt, don't. What if we withhold encouragement or we don't lend or help someone when we're able? James says this, if we know the good that we ought to do and we don't do it, that's sin. So there are sins of omission, that's a category. There are sins of commission, that's what you, things you actually do. And then there's that sin that's that not doing things in faith, going against your conscience. I'm just, I don't want to, again, I don't want to like list sins because you already know. You already, you already got things in your mind you're thinking about. See, it's easy to compare yourselves to Hitler. It's easy to compare yourselves to a serial killer that Jeffrey Dahmer documentary is out on Netflix. It's easy to look at the guy who's cussing or smoking or drinking or to point to the people who might be involved in sexual sins and at that community or, or people who are you know, living together. It's easy to look at those people. We look at all those kinds of actions, uh, murder and rape, as though those are like the really big sins that we got to really deal with. And because of that, our attitude is often like the Pharisee that Jesus told about in Luke 17. God, I thank you I'm not like that tax collector. I thank you that I am not a sinner. I thank you that I go to church every week. I thank you that I serve on the, the task force. I give my tithes every week, Lord. I helped out at Harvest Fest. I served on the worship team. I volunteer in young adults and youth. I thank you, God. I'm not like those other people out there. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. That ain't me, Lord. I pray five times a day. <sighs> okay, so maybe you don't think that what you do really is that big a deal compared to other people you know. But let's compare your sin to the first sin. Pastor Gary and Christina, could you come up here? Because we like to think about how harmful a thing is. A little white lie, eh. Rape and murder, ha! Oh! Right? And, and to, to, to some extent, that's justified. But don't compare yourself to Hitler. Compare yourself to this. The first sin. And she gave to her husband who was with her. I don't know how you compare that to rape and murder, but that results with this. of an apple started and led to that. You want to compare yourself and what you do? It's not that big a deal. Oh, God will just forgive me. I'm not raping and killing. 
Hitler, Eve is not Hitler. Adam's not a rapist. But the act that they did led to that. I've heard some Christians say things like, oh, well, you know, I'm not convinced like that. I'm just not convicted, convicted by this, that, or the other thing. Maybe your conscience has been seared and you need to pray to, to God to soften your conscience. God grants repentance. Hebrews tells us that Esau wanted what he wanted. He wanted that bowl of soup and he sold his birthright. And Hebrews says that he came back with tears of repentance, wanting to get that back and he couldn't do it. It wasn't granted to him. It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. You're not really sorry. You're relying on God's grace. And Hebrews also tells us that you crucify the Lord again. Don't do that. Don't abuse the grace of God. Look, I know that I've come down really hard. I know that was jarring. I briefly shared a little bit of this message with my worship team. If you're on the worship team, you get to hear a preview of my sermons. And I could tell that they were impacted. Like I said, it impacted me. It wrecked me to think of this. Because when, again, when I'm, I'm just like you, when I think about my stuff, but I compare it to this and not Hitler and know what it resulted in. Society today is almost, it's almost the greatest sin to make somebody feel bad. But my heart is not that you would just feel bad. I don't want you to just feel bad. My heart is like that of Paul and what he talked about in 2 Corinthians 7. He says in verse 8, For even if I made you grieve, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it because you were grieved. I am sorry if you feel bad, if this, this, if this is hard to, to think through. But you're only going to be sad for a little while. As it is, I did rejoice because, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Again, if you feel bad, if that was hard to watch and hard to think, that's not my goal, is that you would be left there. My desire for you is that you truly slow down and get active. Slow down and examine yourself. Do as David did in Psalm 51 and ask God to search you and reveal and heal any wicked way. My prayer is that God would grant you repentance. But you know who wants this for you even more than I do? God does. God wants this for you. I'm here warning you to not take advantage of God's grace. But I want you to know that there is limitless grace and limitless mercy for you to have if you want it. It is there. If you'll really turn from your wicked ways, there is grace after grace after grace after grace for you. But don't abuse it. Ask God for help. Confess your sins one for another and pray for one another. Truly be open to God's searching. If you've been saved since yesterday, if you've been saved your whole life, if you're like David and you say to yourself, I was young and now I'm old, my call for you is to examine yourself, to take your sins seriously, 
to be diligent with living out the way that God wants you to live. If you're here today, and maybe you're not a Christian, if you're here today and you want to receive the gift of salvation that God has given, I want to invite you to pray with me. As you think about your sin, if you have godly sorrow, as you're watching this loop, oh, it's not moving anymore. If you were watching that and it got to you, and you have godly sorrow about what you saw, I want to invite you to receive the free gift of Jesus Christ this morning. I want to pray a prayer, and I would ask that you would pray with me. Harvest Church, if you could bow your heads and join and pray with me. If you want to receive God, say this with me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me for all of my sins. I understand that what I did is treason against you. I ask that you cleanse me from all unrighteousness and that you become Lord of my life. I receive the gift of salvation and repent of my wicked ways. Jesus, I believe on you now and I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us once again for this week's sermon podcast. We pray God's blessing on you as you face your day and week ahead. For more videos, messages, and other content, make sure you follow, like, and subscribe to all of our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at GoHarvestEG. And be sure to check out our website at GoHarvest.org for the latest information on events and services. Until next time, stay encouraged and don't miss the opportunity to be a blessing to the world around you. God bless. Thank you.